It's Wednesday, March 31st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, the one and only Emily Flippin. Thanks for being here. Thanks again for having me, Chris. Uh, quick programming note. We are off tomorrow. It is a short week for Market Foolery because it's spring break. And also, by the way, the market is closed on Fridays. Just a reminder. For all you day traders out there, the market's closed on Friday. You're going to have to find something else to do. Um, we have a trio of fourth quarter reports. Let's start with Chewy. The pet products company reported a surprise profit to wrap up the fiscal year. Shares of Chewy up more than 6% today. And this was not one of those beat by a penny situations. Wall Street was expecting a solid loss. And uh, all things considered, this seems like it was a pretty strong beat. I'm going to take a victory lap on this one, Chris, because the surprise profitability from Chewy, it was earnings of $0.05 cents per share, uh, was something that a lot of analysts said wasn't possible for this e-commerce pet business. A lot of people related it to Pets.com when it went public. But Chewy has a unique strategy, and part of that strategy has historically been spending a ton of money on customer acquisition at the expense of its bottom line. And so, the surprise profitability is wonderful. But I will say, the best performance wasn't actually Chewy's financial performance. Earnings are great, revenue beat, totally wonderful. But the best thing to me was how their new customer acquisition strategy was behaving in comparison to cohorts of the past. A lot of people made the implication that Chewy really only succeeded over the course of 2020 because of the pandemic and headed into 2021, they would have a challenging comp comparison as people went back to shopping in stores. But their new customer acquisition cohort actually accelerated prior relative to the prior quarter with customer reactivations increasing 40% and customer retention improving by nearly two and a half percent. And these new cohorts are actually spending more money than previous cohorts as well. So for me, that was the best thing to come out of this earnings report. Yeah, we've talked before about how Amazon opened the door for a lot of businesses last year when Amazon struggled with shipping and fulfillment. Uh, they righted the ship, but it, it really did open the door for large mainstream retailers like Walmart and Target to um, amp up their delivery and their curbside pickup and that sort of thing, but then also for businesses like Chewy. And uh, everything I heard and read about people who were trying Chewy for the first time, it sounds like they really crushed it. They made the most of their opportunity, um, and it probably helps them that this is the business they're in to start with, whereas a lot of other retailers Yes, they had an online component, but they they really had to ramp it up in 2020. Uh, but kudos to Chewy and their their management team for making the most of the opportunity that Amazon gave them. Because uh, you look at the stock today, and uh, these are the results. You're right that there's a lot of industry trends that have supported Chewy. Um, the number of pet households Chewy estimates just in the United States increased nearly 6% in 2020 alone. So clearly, there's a big opportunity there, supports a lot of players. But one thing I will add to that, that I think Chewy has done particularly well in comparison to the Amazons of the world, are their private label brands. Amazon and other other businesses have really dropped the, law, the ball on private label, and Chewy has actually picked up steam and their private label sales, which are higher margin sales for them. We saw that this quarter, both with their gross margins expanding, as well as that surprise profitability. 
Shares of Lululemon falling a bit today, despite the fact that fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. And yes, of course, the physical stores were down, but digital sales nearly doubled. I was extremely impressed by Lululemon's quarter. Uh, They did beat on both the top and the bottom lines, uh, but the highlight for me were, as expected, and as you mentioned, their digital sales. E-commerce grew 92% year-over-year, and that's on top of 42% growth over the year-ago quarter last year. Um, Women's grew, but also the story here is really international growth. International growth was up 47% in the quarter. And this is really critical because if you get into Lululemon's strategy, while they are mixing up their merchandising in the United States, they're really spending a lot of money and effort growing store count outside of North America, especially in areas like Asia and China. So they're actually gaining market share both within the United States and critically internationally as well. How are the mirror sales? Because uh, I've said for a while now that I'm curious to see Lululemon's fourth quarter report, in particular the mirror sales, because I remember how heavily they were advertising mirror over the holidays. I mean, everything I saw, whether it was on television or on YouTube, all of those video ads were about mirror. Perhaps the biggest shocker for me this quarter was how much time they spent, management spent, talking about Mirror in this report. In my opinion, the real story here is the fact that Lululemon wants to double their men's category, wants to launch their own footwear brand, wants to quadruple its international business by 2023. These are huge numbers. And when you look at those big lofty goals, Mirror is only a small part of that. Mirror generated $170 million of revenue for the business in 2020. So it's really not moving their top line at all. But let's go back to what management said. Management focused on it a lot. And part of that is because they're actually projecting 50 to 65% growth in Mirror sales for 2021. That's getting north of $260 million. So picking up speed in a year that maybe investors were expecting to be kind of tough for at-home fitness businesses, but they're doing this by adding studios, adding trainers, improving their interface to be more engaging, and expanding the shop and stop strategy for mere to over 200 stores in the United States. So Lululemon is spending a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of money helping build out the Mirror brand and presumably helping Lululemon become more than just a place where you buy yoga pants, becoming a brand that you associate with a lifestyle. That's interesting. Uh, There there are a lot of numbers to pour over, but the fact that they're looking to put Mirror in 200 locations, because I believe when they made the acquisition, the initial number around the holidays was, I want to say, less than 20. They did a lot of pricing comparisons during the holiday season that included a lot of really aggressive advertising, like you mentioned, but it also included a lot of really aggressive discounts that let Lululemon find out, okay, this is the critical selling range for mere products. And they found a couple of really important things. First of all, people love to be able to experience the mirror interface in person. So it was critical for them to expand the number of Lululemon stores where people could walk in and experience mirror. But these same people also like to purchase online and they like to have free shipping. So they're finding this sweet spot in pricing, somewhere between $1,200 to $1,500 with free shipping for mirrors. And they're actually thinking that at that price range with their 
stop and shop store expansion, they have a pretty large addressable market. It'll be really interesting to see not just how mirror sales go, um, but you know, as you said, when you think about the comparison of, of management's focus on this relative to the other parts of the business, I wonder if at least part of that is driven by the pandemic, the reopening that's going on. And I don't want to say the window is closing because obviously they they made this acquisition. They they feel like there's a future there and they're not going to stop promoting it and stop selling it once the pandemic is over. But it does seem like uh, the desire for home fitness might be dropping over the next in the near term, over the next maybe two years or so. And so they say, look, if we're going to grow this thing, we got to focus on this now because we don't want to take a slow approach with this. Whereas they can afford to take a slower approach with things like international growth and the men's line. There's been a lot of money pushed into at-home fitness over the past year that comes as no surprise to anyone, right? Peloton, uh, Nordic Track, the iFit programs, even SoulCycle, all of these businesses are making substantial investments into serving an at-home market that nobody really knows what it's going to look like in just a matter of a couple years from today. But one thing I will say, and the reason why I think Lululemon is focusing on Mirror so much is because Mirror shows a level of optionality to their business that I don't think a lot of people experience with retailers. And it's almost the inverse of Peloton, which went from an at-home fitness company to a lifestyle company getting into the apparel industry. Lululemon's in the apparel industry trying to get more into the at-home fitness market. And I think there's room for both of these businesses to succeed, but they both very clearly have a lifestyle attached to them. And as, as somebody who does love her Nordic track and has been using it religiously over the past half year or so, I will say it'll be really interesting to see how many of these customers really stick. I think it probably ends up being a less risky proposition for Lululemon than it does for the Pelotons of the world. BlackBerry is no longer a mobile phone company. It is in the business of communication software. And we can talk about BlackBerry's fourth quarter, but shares are falling nearly 10% because their forecast pointed to slowing demand. Investors are starting to lose patience with BlackBerry a bit. If you rewind back to, say, the beginning of 2018, BlackBerry was in the process of reworking its business. As you mentioned, no longer focused on phones, but becoming a leader in enterprise mobility software, and in particular, the software that connects mobile devices and other endpoints like cars and automated vehicles. So there's a lot of excitement that went into this this proposition. It was a turnaround story. But the problem is BlackBerry, BlackBerry has never really managed to pick it up in terms of its revenue growth. They turned, uh, after years of falling revenue, they turned to net positive revenue growth in 2020. That again is slowing down into 2021. So again, investors are losing patience. And I think for this quarter, a lot of the skepticism comes down to BlackBerry's QNX software. This was software that they acquired when they were going in their turn around phase. It's aimed at automotive operating systems, so electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles. 
while they've had a decent amount of success in rolling that out to a large number of players in the space, they really haven't done a great job of monetizing it. And if you rewind to this period last year, their CEO, BlackBerry CEO, John Chen, said similar things about QNX saying, oh, we saw light demand last year, but things will turn around. This year, very similar words, right? The pandemic caused people to not invest in their electric vehicles the same way we saw in the past, but maybe at some point, you know, post 2021, we'll see it turn around and investors aren't buying it this time. I can see the temptation with this business. Um, for those who forget, I mean, at one point in this century, this was the dominant player in the mobile phone space. Um, you look at the stock that a year ago was at three dollars a share. It's uh, you know, like I said, it's falling today, but it's still over the past year, it's basically doubled. So I see the temptation when you say, "Look, the business that they are in." That's something that's going to grow over time. That's an industry that's going to grow. This is a company that has a market cap of still just under $5 billion. So I see the temptation. But, but to your point, it's just, it's, I don't know. They just, they, they really haven't gone on the kind of consistent winning streak. It reminds me of what Twitter was on a business level for a number of years where it was just like they would put up a good quarter and you would think, boy, they just need to do like three of these in a row and then they can really get rolling. And I feel like BlackBerry is kind of in that same category. It's funny that you bring up Twitter as a potential comparison there because that might be even more topical than a lot of listeners are aware because Twitter right now is also going through its own kind of turnaround, right? We're phasing the way that it does things like monetization and advertising. Um, I, I can see a more realistic world in which that works out for Twitter than I can for BlackBerry in this case, just because the software that BlackBerry has gotten into, both uh, software services for things like uh, automotive operating systems System, secure communications, and a lot of investments put into security software. This is an extremely competitive and expensive place to operate in. And BlackBerry's had to take significant write downs last year on impairments of, of businesses that they've acquired trying to get into the software space. So, in my opinion, it seems a little bit like BlackBerry is flailing around. I won't say that this is exactly catching a falling knife if you are an investor in BlackBerry, but what I will say is, is if you do choose to invest in BlackBerry, presumably you are a believer in the turnaround strategy that management management has been trying to execute on. Regardless of where you fall on that value proposition, there's no denying that last year is challenging and it looks like this year is going to be challenging as well. Emily Flippin, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. Remember, the market's closed on Friday. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>